My name is David Blackburn. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I want to thank you for being here on July 4th weekend. I know there's a lot of things you could be doing, but uh, again, thanks for being in church with us. You know, God has given me the privilege of speaking in quite a few different churches. For many years, I was part of the Assembly of God denomination and got an opportunity to go around and preach in different churches. I preached in Church of the Nazarene. I preached in Methodist churches. I preached in independent churches, non-denominational. And in all those churches, I had like a little podium or a pulpit. Anybody come from a church that had a pulpit? Well, when I came on staff at uh, Faith Fellowship, I looked for a podium. I looked for a pulpit. You know, I needed my little comfort area here. I couldn't find it. Now, I'm not making a a value judgment whether pulpits are good or bad or non-pulpits. But in keeping with our theme this summer, Expect the Unexpected, I wanted to preach from a little podium today. (laughs) And guess what? I've got notes, no screen. So if I pass out, you know, God doesn't uh, have a preference whether we have pulpits or non-pulpits. Amen? Do you appreciate having choices when you've got to make a decision? You know, I, I appreciate choices. Whether it's chocolate or vanilla ice cream, boxers or briefs, no show of hand on that one right now. Yeah, Lady Gaga or ZZ Top. You know, I saw where Lady Gaga has more. Now, give me, help me out on uh, her personal, is it my, my uh, Facebook or something? She has more people signed up than any other human being on the planet. She just crossed like 10 million over the weekend. Amazing. Well, also we've got uh, a choice between Roman candles and sparklers. Now today when you leave, everybody's going to get a sparkler. Not a Roman candle. We don't trust you with these. (laughs) We trust you with these. So you're going to get a sparkler and we have plenty. So we're not going to give them to your kids. But if you want to get one for your your children in the zone, you can get one from the uh, those who will be passing them out. You know, many of our decisions have few or no consequences. Ice cream, fireworks. But there's one decision. There's one decision, friends. It's the most important one you will ever make. And this decision will impact you for all of eternity. Now, it doesn't seem to be much concern for the majority of people in America because according to George Barna, when Americans were asked the following question, 98 out of 100 agreed and said yes. And here's the question. When you die, you will go to heaven. In other words, 98% of Americans believe that when they die, they are going to heaven. Reminds me of a story of a man who was talking to his nine-year-old son, and he said, Son, when you die, are you sure you're going to go to heaven? 
He said, yes, Dad, I, I, you know, I'm going to go to heaven. And the, and the dad pressed him a little more. He said, well, son, if you die and God were to say to you, why should I let you in heaven? What would you say, son? The little boy thought for a minute. He said, because I'm dead. <laughs> you know, that's humorous and we smile at that. But that's really what most people think. All they have to do to go to heaven is just die. But that's not what Jesus said about it. He made one of the most politically incorrect statements of all times when he said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Now, with this greatest decision of our lives, we're also given a choice. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus here is talking about a series of twos. Two gates, two roads, two destinations, and two grounds. Jesus gave this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And many believe that's the greatest recorded sermon in all of the Bible. And he makes this final call at the very end. Someone said it's make up your mind time on the mountain. In verse 13, Jesus gave a command. He said, enter through the narrow gate. Were you aware that every biblical call to the gospel is a command? Enter, repent, believe, follow. These are commands which call for a choice. And a choice that each of us must make. Will we enter or not? Will we repent or not? Will we believe in Jesus Christ or not? Will we follow or not? See, way back when, on the sea, near the Sea of Galilee where this was preached, these people who heard Jesus with their own ears had to make a choice. They were faced with a decision. And it was a choice that was going to impact them with an eternal consequence. And you roll history up 2,000 years, give or take a few years, and people today still have to make a choice. And that choice is going to impact them for all eternity. Because you see, in eternity, we will be in one of two places. We're either going to be with God in heaven, or we'll be separated from Him in what the Bible refers to as the lake of fire. One of two places. I'm not the smartest guy around, and that comes as no revelation to the majority of you. But I'm smart enough to know, friends, that I want to spend eternity with the God who loves me. To me, that's a no-brainer. Someone as dense as I am can get that one. And if you were to ask, I believe most people would tell you they also want to spend eternity in heaven 
But most of those people don't know how to achieve that worthy goal. We have two competing groups with thoughts on how to spend eternity with God. One group represents biblical Christianity and one represents all other religious systems. These two groups are set apart and differentiated by what they teach about salvation. In other words, they differ in their understanding on how one can get from this life to a place called heaven or nirvana or Valhalla or whatever the description you have for it. It's the afterlife. There are two competing thoughts on how we get to heaven. The first group is human achievement. The second group is divine accomplishment. Or to put it simply, it's the two groups of do and done. I'm referring to the fact that either there are things you must do, that's the human achievement group, things you must do, or there's nothing you can do because it's already been done for you to go to heaven. That's the divine accomplishment. See, the human achievement people believe that they will spend eternity with God because they've been good enough in their lives while here on earth. Good enough through religious affiliations. Good enough through their deeds or their charitable giving. Good enough through you fill in the blank. And we've got a lot of things we could put in there. But it's all based on human achievement. Now, This other group of people, the divine accomplishment group, they believe they can't do anything to earn the favor and mercy of God. They know deep within their hearts they can't be good enough to satisfy a holy God. So what do they do? They trust alone on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians. He differentiates between these two groups. He says, for the message of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the what? Power of God. The human achievement people believe that the message of the cross and what was done on the cross by Jesus Christ is foolishness, is a myth, it's a fable, make-believe. But the divine accomplishment people, they know the message of the cross and what Jesus did there for lost humanity is the power of God unto salvation. So it comes down to this. You and I are either good enough to make heaven on our own effort or we're not. All religious belief systems provide a set of do's and don'ts that will qualify their followers to try and earn a place in heaven. And I want to underline to try and earn a place in heaven. All except Christianity. Because our understanding from the Bible is that we can never be good enough by our own effort our own human achievement to satisfy God's requirements for entrance into heaven. 
Paul said this in first, or excuse me, Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, we live in an age of inclusiveness. And that is the ultimate example of it. That little three-letter word, A-L-L. All have sinned. Say it with me. All have sinned. One more time. All have sinned. Now, in 2010, most of the world's population is committed to the religion of human achievement. The belief that humans can be good enough, think good enough thoughts, do good enough deeds, attend enough religious services, go through enough religious rituals or ceremonies, and then be accepted by God. And I love that song the band plays. They put a knife in the religion's heart, don't they? Religion dies. Human works, human effort, the religion that says we can be good enough, holy enough, spiritual enough. Then there's also clever enough. A little boy was making all kinds of mischief around the home, and his mom caught him and said, how do you expect to ever go to heaven acting like that? He said, you know, I'm just going to run in and run out, run in, run out, Slam the door. And one of these, somebody will say, for goodness sakes, come in or stay out. He said, then I'll go in. <laughs> Clever, but not the way the Sunday school teacher taught it. The decision that Jesus puts before us here in Matthew 7 is clear in the contrast of the two options. There are two gates, a wide gate and a narrow gate. Two roads, the broad road and the narrow road. Two destinations, destruction and life. And two groups of people, the many and the few. So let's look at the contrast. First, the two gates. Jesus lists the gates first because they speak of entry. Does anybody have a gate where they live on their property, fence, or, or you were raised on a farm or something? You know about gates? Yeah, you know, immediately... I can picture a gate in my mind. We know about gates. Jesus tells us we must make a choice about the gate. We must make a decision not to just look at the gate or think about the gate or study the gate or admire the gate and what it stands for. Jesus says the gate must be entered. See, there are people who appreciate the historical life of Jesus. They appreciate his kindness, his good deeds. They respect him for his teaching and his compassion. But sadly, these people will never do what Jesus commanded. They will never enter the gate. A gate serves two purposes. A gate lets in and it shuts out. It lets in and it shuts out. All those who do not enter the gate that Jesus is talking about, will be eternally shut out from the presence of God. There's no other gate anywhere that I can enter, that you can enter, that anyone can enter that will lead us to eternal life. Jesus said this about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man comes to the Father but by me. How much more plain does he have to make it? Jesus is the gate. He is the way. He is the door to eternal life. And the description of the gate as being a narrow gate leads us to believe that we enter this gate alone. Ever been down to one of the sporting events and they've got those real narrow turnstiles? And you go through there and if you're not careful, it's going to hit you right about the belt buckle. Or you go to a subway in New York City, they have the same kind of thing. It's one at a time through that narrow turnstile. Not everyone who joins a church or grew up in a Christian home is growing through the gate unless they go through on their own. You see, the gate experience is not something you inherit from your parents or passed down from your grandparents. It's an individual decision that each of us must make and must enter the same way that all people have entered who are in heaven today, one at a time through a personal faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in contrast to to that is the wide gate. Wide as a football field or wider yet. This gate can be entered by the whole crowd. And you can bring all your stuff with you. And that stuff may include the baggage of self-righteousness, past hurts, self-indulgences. There's no fee or weight limit to bring your baggage through that gate. It's wide enough so people bring it all with them. It's also wide enough for all of our sins to go through it. Sins of every sort are welcome through this gate. You name the sin and it's welcome to go through the wide gate. I read the story of a West Indian man who had chosen Islam over Christianity. And they asked him, why, why did you choose Islam over, over Christianity? And he said, Islam is a noble, broad road. There's room for a man and his sins on it. The way of Christ is too narrow. Now, this guy was right. Jesus told us so. But never forget that the narrow road is the only road to eternal life in heaven. In Luke chapter 13, the disciples asked Jesus a question. They said, Lord, are there few who are saved? And Jesus answered, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. So why will so few people enter the narrow gate? Why is that? And travel a narrow road that leads to eternal life. Pastor John MacArthur, pastor of the church in Southern California, great Bible expositor and teacher, he said this, it's hard to get in. It's difficult. Even when you've heard the truth, it's difficult to embrace the truth and make a commitment to that truth. It means you leave the old self behind. All your self-determination, all your ambition, all your self-will, all your sense of your own goodness. He goes on to say, So this gate is only entered by the serious, 
the wholehearted, the passionate, the eager, and the desperate. You're coming and saying, I have no other hope. I let go of all religion, all pride, all self-righteousness. I abandon myself to God. Friends, I believe he nailed it. He nailed it. Then we have the contrast of two roads. The broad road is the superhighway, the I-255, ten lanes, not just three. It has room for anyone who's on it along with everyone else. On the broad road, the religious crowd are on it. And they call out to us every day to join them. As they follow some prophet or guru who has the latest New York Times bestseller. And we can be assured that on the broad road, never will anyone call to you or to me to repent. It will not happen. No one will be on that broad road to encourage us to live a life of obedience and commitment to Christ. You see, you just put it in high gear, you grab the steering wheel, and you let her rip. You roll along with the crowd. And what could be better? Because these people all believe they're going to heaven anyway. They believe they're going there because they talk about God. They they study about God. They go on talk shows and they tout their spirituality. They discuss different ideas and philosophies with a mixture of Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha. But friends, there's a vast number. Billions with a B of people on that wide and broad road here on July 4th, 2010. Then there's a narrow road Jesus referred to, Matthew 7, 14. This road is a life of obedience to the Lord and His teachings in the Bible. It's the road that conforms us and shapes us into the image of Christ. It keeps us focused on the hope of heaven And our eternal reward. The narrow road is one of service to Christ. And to all those who desperately need him. Now granted this road may not seem as exciting and glamorous as the other road. It will not be as crowded. It may get lonely at times. But I want you to remember, friends, it is the road home. There's nothing that makes your heart feel better when after a long trip and you're finally down that last road to your house, whether it's in the subdivision or a country lane. Man, your heart skips a beat. And I would only hope for us that our heart would skip a beat this morning thinking about the fact that we are on the right road home. It's the only road to heaven, contrary to what you hear and what you're being indoctrinated in. We have a third contrast, two destinations. The writer of Hebrews says this, It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the what? The judgment. All of us will arrive someday at two destinations when we die. And uh, by the way, just in case you haven't heard, we all die. It's 
10%. He said, yeah, look at you. You're going to die a lot quicker than us. Don't be so sure about that. But we all die no matter how many years we get on this life. We all are going to face that appointment to die once. And this thoroughly debunks reincarnation. You die once. So all of us are going to arrive at a destination. You know, every summertime traveler, we've got people in the church that are traveling right now on vacation. Some are leaving this week. And everyone who takes out on a summertime vacation, at least the majority of them, they have a destination in mind when they get in a plane, train, or automobile. Ever see that movie? Man, if you haven't seen that movie... John Candy, Steve Martin, that is one of the classics. Rent it. You know, you'd never call a travel agency. You'd never go online to Travelocity or Expedia and book a destination for a place called Destruction. Hello. Yeah, I'd like to get uh, some tickets. Uh, no, it's not going to be round trip. It's just going to be one way. Oh, where? Oh, yeah, yeah, hold on. Uh, it's Destruction. Uh, you say your computer doesn't compute on that one? Okay. See, none of us would do that. The word destruction does not mean annihilation. There's some that teach when we die, we're just like the dogs or the cats. We just, no more consciousness. It does not mean that. It does not mean a ceasing to exist. Because the Bible teaches in Revelation 20 that there will be eternal torment in the lake of fire for those who travel down this road, the broad road. And sadly, as a pastor, just as a fellow Christian, it ought to be sad to us this morning that most people, no matter their social status, their nationality, the color of their skin, their bank account, they're on that road. They've made that choice. But fortunately, God doesn't leave us there because He says we can travel the other road, the narrow road. And we can be grateful for that opportunity yet today. Those who enter the narrow gate and travel the narrow road will have as their destination eternal life with God the Father. I want to read in Revelation chapter 21. Because maybe it's been a while since you've read this about heaven. Four verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had disappeared. And there was no sea anymore. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared like a bride dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now God's presence is with people, and He will live with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, sadness, crying, or pain, because all the old ways are gone. I don't believe there's a person in here that truly can imagine how wonderful eternal life with God 
it's going to be. In our wildest imagination. Finally, we have the contrast of two crowds. Most people in the world are on the road of the majority crowd. And this crowd has rejected the teachings and claims of Jesus Christ. And so they've entered that wide gate that lets them then travel the wide road. And they have a destination. And it seems that they're oblivious to the outcome of their choice. In contrast, the narrow road has few travelers. Not because I said so, Jesus already let us know that. It probably won't even be considered a crowd in comparison to the other group. But remember, no matter how few are on that road, they are the ones who are the true believers in Jesus Christ. They believe his claims. They've put their faith in him alone for their eternal life to the exclusion of all other religious systems, religious teachers, religious leaders. They've said it's Jesus and Jesus alone. They've taken to heart Paul's words here in 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Jesus said there are two gates, there are two roads, there are two destinations, and there are two crowds. Just two. Someone has said that what you and I have looked at this morning are the scariest teachings of Jesus during the entire Sermon on the Mount. I say we can either be scared or we can be comforted. We can understand that Jesus is giving a warning to us. And we can be comforted because there is an alternative. And if you don't get anything else out of this message this morning, get this fact that God loves you with a crazy love. It's a good book that's out there nowadays. Now, God loves you. My favorite verse in the Bible, John 3.16, if you know it, Let's do it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves us, friends. He loves you in spite of what you've done, in spite of what you've thought, in spite of how you've acted. He loves you. He always will love you. He'll never give up on you. God loves us so much that He did send His Son to die for us. That we could choose the narrow gate. And the heavenly destination that it offers to us if we make the right decision. It all goes back to choices. Choices. So where are you this morning? What gate have you entered? Are you on the broad road? Are you on the narrow road? Let's take a moment and heed Paul's words. Examine ourselves. Ask yourself three questions. Don't answer out loud. Just in the quietness of your heart. Number one, am I truly a follower of Jesus Christ? 
2. Have I really been born again like Jesus said in John chapter 3? And then, do I sincerely seek to serve Jesus and live for Him each day of my life? You see, if you can't answer yes to these three questions, there's a strong probability that we're on the wrong road. And you need to know this morning, out of all the love that I have for you, you need to know that the road you're on will not take you to heaven and an eternity with God. And don't be mad at me because I say that, because I say that with love in my heart. If that's what you want, then it's okay. It's your choice. And God will never strong-arm any of us. God will never force any of us to accept Him as our Lord and Savior. It's your choice. But maybe you don't want that to happen. You say, you know, I want to choose the narrow gate. I, I want to get on that narrow road that takes me to heaven when I die. And if that's the case, what do you have to do? You don't have to become a member of this church. You don't have to sign up with all your financial wherewithal. No, this is what you've got to do. Admit that you've sinned and repent of your sin. We already saw Romans 3.23. All have sinned. And that includes me. Paul said he was the chief sinner until I was born. That includes all of us. We've all sinned. So if we've all sinned, we all need to repent. And then two, you ask Jesus to save you from the penalty of your sin through His precious blood. Because, friends, there is a penalty for unconfessed sin and leaving this life without letting Jesus deal with the sin in your life. You see, the actual words a person may say to God to receive the gift of salvation and enter in that narrow gate, they may vary. There's, there's different prayers, different ways. But what is important is that we believe God enough to be able to say something like this. I'm just going to give you a little outline here. It's dear God, I know I've sinned against you. I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died for my sins, and that he rose from the dead to prove it. Now I accept your offer of eternal life. Please forgive me for all my sins. I receive Jesus into my life as your gift of my salvation. I'm going to give you an opportunity today to pray that prayer along with me. Not out loud, in the quietness again of your heart or just under your breath. And I'm not forcing you. I'm not coercing you. God is not forcing you. The Holy Spirit may be prompting you and saying, hey, now you need to do this. But I don't want to fail to give you an opportunity to say, God, I want to get right with you today. So just bow your heads. Just, you know, bow your heads. Don't look at anybody else. I'm not looking at you. You're not looking at me. 
If you want to say this, maybe you've said it before. It's quite all right to say it again. Maybe you just want to do it again. But if you really mean this and you're serious with God, God will be serious with you today. So here we go. Dear God, I know I've sinned against you. I believe that Jesus is your son. That he died for my sins. And that he rose from the dead to prove it. Now I accept your offer of eternal life. Please forgive me for all my sins. I receive Jesus into my life as your gift for my salvation. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the sheer fact that not a one of us has to be traveling the wide road today. We all have opportunity today to turn it around, to say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I repent of the way I've been doing my life. I want to go and be on that narrow road, the road that won't bring me a lot of recognition from the world, the road that may bring me some scorn and some ridicule, but it's the only road home, Lord, and that which I have at the end of the road is worth much more than what I have in this life. As we read about it in Revelation chapter 21, Lord, no one can imagine what you have in store for those who love you and have committed their hearts and lives to you. And Lord, I know this is kind of a heavy message on a July 4th, but there is freedom like no other freedom when we surrender our life to Jesus. When the burden and the weight of our guilt of our sin has been lifted from us and we say yes to Christ and we know that we are forgiven and that we are free, freer than we could ever be in our physical being. We thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. We thank you once again for this wonderful country. And as we celebrate today, Independence Day in America in 2010, Lord, we just give you praise and honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name, amen.